Literally, what the frick? <laughs> All right, everyone, welcome back to a new episode of What the Frick. I'm your best pal, Nick. And I'm your best pal, Katie. And we have a very fun episode in store for all of us today. We're going to get into influencer culture. I think we are the misunderstood micro-generation, Katie, because everyone wants to call me, like, I am a 97. I am, we're, we both are, right? Yes. So we are on the cusp of millennial and Gen Z. And I don't feel at home with either group. Uh, <laughs> I would just like to say I think there's plenty I am not, I don't have in common with millennials. And there's also, there is so much I don't understand about true Gen Zers. So I don't know, we're in the middle, but influencer culture is important to both millennials and Gen Zers. Um, as we navigate this new world of social media. So anyway, we're going to get into that. But first, I'm going to turn it over to Katie, who's going to tell one of my favorite stories uh, that she has in her arsenal of stories. Why don't you get us started, Katie? Yeah, so Nick and I really like the show Love is Blind, which um, has to do with the story I'm about to tell. But basically, a couple months ago, back in my nine to five days, I was sitting at work with my dear friend that I used to work with, and we're joking around about me applying to the show Love is Blind. We're like, why not? That would be great. I, I could become famous, was what we said. Not there for the right reasons. And <laughs> so we're sitting at work one day, and we are going through the application, and you have to send two photos of yourself. One, they said to, and they said specifically how to label them. So one was called body shot and one was called face shot. So I, you know, followed my instructions. I downloaded a nice photo of me on the beach with my camera as my body shot. And then I think maybe a selfie as my face shot. Um, so, you know, I did this on my work desktop, which probably wasn't all that appropriate, but I did it anyways. And Fast forward a month, I walk into work one morning to my boss sitting in the conference room saying he needs to wa he wants to have a chat with us. And I say, hmm, <laughs> okay. And turns out he had taken it upon himself to uh, go on our computers, look, he was said he was looking for something, but I don't really know if that's true. And he happened to find my personal folder on my desktop that was called Katie, which consisted mostly of you know, resumes, cover letters, me trying to, proof of me Eager trying job. to, yeah. On proof your of me trying to work computer. Yes. That is a level of disregard for, like, that makes you a millennial. That is, like, the most millennial thing I've ever heard. Okay, continue. My favorite part is when he said that he was putting a tracker on my computer, yet he didn't know how to transfer a word to a pdf so <laughs> so he had seen my folder that said katie on it um which had personal things but nothing inappropriate except for proof of me trying to quit and in that folder was two photos that said body shot and face shot <laughs> and he <laughs> said that out loud in front of my friend my coworker at the time and said <laughs> And Katie, you have all these photos of yourself on the desktop. I mean, a body shop? What even is that? 
what what kind of photos, Katie? What did you have on your work desktop? I already told the listeners it was a nice photo of me on the beach in a sweater. It was an appropriate photo to send to my Love is Blind application. But here my boss is trying to make me out for a freak, putting all these racy photos on my desktop. I couldn't believe my eyes. I was like, they can't see my face, so that doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this is not a road I necessarily want to go down. But I think as a general rule, just keep it off your work computer going forward, Katie. What you do in your spare time is up to you. But I think, you know, one day when we're both sitting at what the frick incorporated at our work computers, I want to have some semblance of, you know, trust uh, Uh, that you're being appropriate over there. That's all. All, you know, my... Everything had been broken at that point. I don't, I don't, I had <laughs> Everything nothing, is all gone. There's no point in living. <laughs> everything was thrown out the window. So I, I accepted the punishment, but the fact that he thought he was punishing me for having racy photographs on my work computer was the funniest thing. I couldn't even keep my, like, a straight it's face to him. It's also just, like, anyone who knows you, like... Right. Knows that those were not recent photos. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> like, what? Oh, my God. So, that's my that's my closest um, experience to trying to, you know, with breach, fame? Yeah, with fame to try to breach into the social media influencer world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what happened to me. And also, I never heard back from Love is Blind, so... I think, I think COVID, though. They're probably just... They probably haven't gotten to it yet. I yeah, they'll really- probably... They'll, I, they'll reach out. They'll reach out eventually. My closest brush with fame was in high school at Pomfret. I had a radio show on the local the the high school radio station ninety one point one FM. Your boy Nicholas did political commentary on the <laughs> on the airwaves on the real live radio uh, oh every God. Monday night at I think it was like seven to eight. Fulcino's filibuster. Shut he, up. I in I interviewed U.S. Congressman Chris Murphy, who is now a U.S. Senator, and he should never have been allowed on my show. I don't know who in his team let that happen, but oh my was, god. Um, and of course, back then I was like a raging conservative, so I was like, no. it was just bad all around. It was bad you all around. Don't say of course back then. Like, as I guess, if that's yeah, a- that's maybe not of course. But if you know me, you know this about me, that that's how I was raised. And so it was just, I mean, I can't even imagine what it was like to listen to Fulcino's filibuster back in the day. So I would say, though, that was my closest brush with fame was when I was a local radio host. Yeah. In my do you think you Do you think you could pull out some um, archives of that? I would love to see some samples. So, and again, I think this is one thing that defines our particular age group is we have grown up hearing everything on the internet is there forever. And so, I mean, it's out there. And, you know, one day when we're famous and we have a rival podcast, that is how I'm going to get canceled will be someone will find these things. They're out there, I'm sure, but I do not personally have anything left over from the Fulcino's filibuster period of my life other than a single photo. I look, I mean, what is his name? 
Frodo from Lord of the Rings <laughs> looks more <laughs> muscular and more like together as an entity than I do in that. I literally look like if you walk by me and you walk by a skeleton at I party the week before Halloween, you would be <laughs> unable to distinguish us. Literally. Oh my the God. Same. Literally. The oh same. my God. So that was my brush with fame. It did not, however, lead to a successful future as an influencer, unfortunately mm-hmm. for me. So Katie, how would you define, because we're going to get into influencer culture and we're going to talk about all the different components of it this episode, how would you define an influencer? I did look up the actual definition of an influencer because I was curious because I feel like we all kind of have our preconceived notions and like our definitions of them, but... You know it's real when she whips out uh, (laughs) dictionary.com. Yeah, I was like... Every good essay, well, actually, no, every bad essay from ninth grade started, (laughs) according to dictionary.com, the true definition of blank is this. And so Katie has brought poor quality ninth grade English paper assignments to what the frick. What the frick? All right, go ahead. And it says, according to dictionary.com, that an influencer, a social media influencer, is someone who has the power to affect the purchasing decisions of others because of his or her authority, knowledge, position, or relationships with his or her audience. So it seems like the general definition of an influencer is someone who has the power to like influence your purchases. So that's why they're always like posting um, products and, like, and that they makes have sense. follow. And it makes sense. So great. But I think that influencers in our time are so much more than that and i say in our time that's kind of a relative term because they're only around in our time but right i mean like in the past maybe even two years i feel like influencers used to have this like power to just just do ads like that and people really only cared like i don't think people even really cared about the ads they cared about like their content but now it's like influencers like i don't even see paid ads that often i just see like they buy something and they tag the brand and that's like yes. really it. And they get a discount code. And so, right. and so the other thing I want to get to too is the, the commercialization of it is natural, of course, like it's going to happen. There's also, I think, this the second type of influence, and I think you're starting to get to this. Um, it's not just like I'm going to buy this cardigan that so-and-so is wearing in this Instagram post, I think it's also, I am going to structure my life in a certain way based on this. And one example, this is not a perfect example because again, it's from television, not from like pure Instagram influencer culture, but what was the name of that stupid music festival everyone went to last season on Paradise? Stagecoach. Stagecoach. So I think it was within two weeks of Bachelor in Paradise airing last summer that they were already sold out for the next year of Stagecoach. And Mm -hmm. so like, I think there's this perception of this is how the, and by rich and famous, this is the other thing is like, there's so much to get to. It's not like the (laughs) 60s or whatever, where people were like, lifestyle of the rich and famous, Marilyn Monroe, like Hollywood, like actual talent, right? It's like, people who other people have decided are cool, this is what they're doing, so I'm going to go do it so that other people think I'm cool too, which is like, frankly, absurd. 
but I think just another way of looking at it. So it's like what you're physically purchasing, but also how you're spending your free time, how you're dressing, the aesthetic of your Instagram page, so many different factors of how we are each growing up now, not as, not solely as people, but also as brands. And so we are looking to these influencers for how do we make a successful brand for ourselves. Yeah, definitely. And you just touched upon so much. I'm like jumping out of my seat. I know. I'm um, like really ready to get into it. I feel like what you fill your feed with is like what it's like the content you choose to consume pretty much. And I follow a lot of like, I personally think they're like really genuine influencers. And I have bought from brands that they promote not only because I'm like, oh, um, like there's one, this one girl, Vivian, who's, she's amazing. Like she's, I can just tell she's like a sweet person, but I don't think, I don't look at what she's wearing and say like, oh, I want to wear that because Vivian's wearing it. I, I like trust her opinion. And I think that's a part of it. So I want to, I want to, I knew that's where you were going and I need to say something about this. Yes, I agree with you because my thought process right is like this real person is using this real product and it's working for them so that inherently in my mind suggests that it's worth buying but is it really different like they are being paid to use that product and then promote it is that really different than some random person on a tv ad like saying, oh, I use this makeup brand because it makes my skin look great. Is that really different from well, some influencer we follow or sorry, yes. some influencer we follow saying that? I think it is different because you look at, I don't know, I can't remember the last time I've seen a TV advertisement because I only watch Netflix, I feel like. Okay, if you see an ad for like face wash, you're going to see, obviously, everything that they're saying on that ad is what the company is wants you to write. But when an influencer uses it, they'll say, like, oh, this is a great face wash. But they'll, if they have a bad experience with it, as long as they're not being sponsored by the product, which is often, like, you're not going to get sponsored by Neutrogena. You know what I mean? So these are, like, real... Like, I think that they actually give their honest opinion unless it's they're breaking a contract, you know? And usually they don't get contracts with like, like I said, Neutrogena makeup brands. Like it's usually lower brand names that. That's a good point. Right. It's not like, so they're allowed to say whatever they want about these bigger companies that that's where I really want the opinion. Like, I don't feel like going to spend $9 on face wash unless I see like, oh, my friends use it or this influencer put on our store that she used it. Um, and that's just one example. Like, so I agree kind of, but also I feel like, the thing about trusting them, you see them wearing it, you're like, oh, that looks cool on them. But it's also, they wouldn't wear it unless it was good quality, unless it was like a good company, um, especially with smaller brands. So I think that is a good way to be exposed to more brands. I do think you spoke to something additionally important though, which is how we just consume our media. We aren't in general watching cable TV that much. So ads, like television ads are just not effective to us in, in that way anyway. I do. I'm not sure that I'm totally convinced people are genuinely using the product necessarily. If an influencer uses a face wash, I'm not necessarily buying that that's the face wash they use. Or sorry, if an influencer posts about a face wash, I don't necessarily believe that's the face wash they use. But I do think there's something 
it does, no matter what, I think the medium it is presented on, Instagram, is something that creates more trust than a television screen. And so I, I just think that's partly our generation. I think that's, you know, the medium itself. Um, I think sometimes people genuinely do forget that, like, they are being paid to sell us this product. I mean, we don't really, I'm sure it's like, for some people, it's super genuine. For some people, it's completely bogus and just paid. So there's not really a way to know. But I just think it's interesting that we are so quick to jump to trust the influencer when, like, they are still getting paid, so. Yeah, no, and I agree. And I don't think I follow enough influencers to really have an opinion because some people listening to this might be like, okay, I follow a ton and I don't trust any of them. So just because the people that I follow, I feel like they're typically promoting smaller brands. Um, So I tend to trust them a little bit more. But like I said, I don't follow enough people to kind of have a full opinion on it. I think that people following a lot more influencers, I could definitely imagine that they're promoting things just for the money and that's probably right. something that I would unfollow really fast. So I definitely agree. Okay. So obviously if you are going to try to sell these products, right, you're going to need to have people to sell them to. And that means followers. And so I think one of the ways, um, and I'm going to really turn this over to Katie cause she's the quote unquote expert in it. Really it's about having, like, I feel like you start with a feed that has good pictures and people are like, oh my God, her life looks so cool. And then they follow that. Or his life. And, or their life. And I just think, like, they jump in and go from there. So how, if you, Katie, were tracing the origin of influencer culture, where would you start? I'm so glad you asked, Nick, because this is a topic that I am incredibly passionate about. And This I have is to the say- one part of the podcast that is not extemporaneous. We were like, 10 minutes in, Nick will oh. say... Katie, how would you define the origin of influencer culture? That's the only part that's planned, folks. What the frick? I don't even know. Well, I have to, we have to mention that during um, the early stages of quarantine, Nick and I and our other friends were obviously bored out of our minds. So every Friday, we would do a group Zoom and we were like, let's do something fun. And every week, we did presentations on PowerPoint. Each week, we had a theme. But the first theme was our niche. Like, what was our niche interest? What's something that, like, we know more than everyone else in the group that we could... It was, like, a joke at first. I don't even... So my my presentation, for example, was I did our friend group on The Bachelor. So I made myself The Bachelor. All of my friends were the contestants. And so we did, like, a whole <laughs> season of The Bachelor, like, through my life. Like, it was just reenacted with all of us. Did you win, Katie? Did I have you winning? I can't believe you forgot that I won. Guys, I won The Bachelor and Nick chose me to propose to. Okay, so why don't you tell everyone (laughs) about your presentation? (laughs) Um, So my presentation was on influencer culture and how it all came from Utah. And also I talked a lot about Mormonism, but we're not going to talk that much about that right now because I feel like that's deep dive topic. No, Um, it is a deep dive topic, but I think it's worth mentioning just why Mormonism was brought up, which is that it is such a prevalent religion within Utah that almost all of these influencers from Utah were also Mormon. Yes, that's very true. So basically, just a forewarning, a lot of this is like my untested theory. I kind of 
created this theory in my head and then did some research. But if anyone has any contributing research, please tell me because I would love to know. Um, And if I'm wrong about anything, also let me know. If you're from Utah and you're an influencer, just reach out to me. Hit us up. So let's get into it. There's this idea that influencer culture was born in Utah. What is in the water in Utah that is making everyone in Utah gorgeous and capable of curating a masterful Instagram feed? Really good question, Nick. Glad you asked. I don't know if you guys have noticed that most of the bloggers you follow, and I'm talking like actual bloggers, influencers, not like celebrities who have turned themselves into influencers, like actual like started from scratch bloggers. We'll get to them later. Yes. Most of them, more of them are from Utah than are not from Utah. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it's kind of crazy. So let's get into why. You know, why did influencer culture start in Utah? Interestingly enough, Brigham Young University, which is in Utah and is, I don't know that, it's not a public institution, but it's a very popular university, college choice out there for people from Utah. One of the professors there was speaking in an article about influencer culture. She was saying how it was often the case that Mormon girls or even just Utahns who were growing up in this kind of conservative, traditional nuclear family unit, they are introduced to, at a very young age, the girls are, this idea that your appearance matters. And so makeup, fashion, hairstyles becomes a huge part of growing up as a young girl in this kind of culture. And generally speaking, I think this is a more traditional state, right? This is not free love New York, free love San Francisco. This is middle America. This is not the heartland, but it's like traditional conservative family values. And so from a young age, women are encouraged to focus on their appearance and stay home. They're going to be moms. They're going to raise children. And again, this is not the universal experience in Utah, and I'm sure the experience in Salt Lake City is different from the rest of the state. But I think if you're looking at areas where traditional conservative nuclear families exist, Utah is one of those places where those values really take hold. Yeah, I think that's very fair, Nick. And with the influencers that I follow from Utah, this is kind of the life path that I've um, kind of recognized a similar path for all of them. So if you're male and you're part of the LDS church, um, which is another word for the Mormon church in Utah, um, you're going to graduate from high school, you're going to go on a mission, and or you're going to go to BYU. So if you don't go on a mission, you typically go to BYU. That's just a generalization. It's just what I've noticed. Um, you're going to come home, get married. And traditionally, you would come home and be the breadwinner for your family. Um, for females, you're going to graduate from high school. Either you're going to go on a mission or you're going to go to BYU. Or you're going to come home, get married, have several children while simultaneously becoming an influencer or a blogger. Um, So that's just the life path that I've picked up on from the multiple people that I followed. Um, These girls and boys uh, tend to get married very young. They tend to be very traditional marriages. They tend to have lots of children while they're very young. And like Nick mentioned, Mormonism is very strict. It's not like any other religion really that's prevalent up in our area. Okay, so yeah, and I think that's a good point. But I think too, one of the things is in my experience, like I am a Catholic, but I'm a very lax Catholic. And my whether or not I'm going to mass or whether or not I'm following the letter of Catholicism is really dependent on how I'm feeling about the 
church that particular day, which is not great for some of the people at St. A's who are probably listening to podcasts, but I've been struggling with parts of that aspect of my faith. What I have found is within these people that we follow, like Mormons are taking their religion more seriously. And I, I almost mean that complimentary of like, they are actually, when they say they are Mormon, they're being genuine about it. Whereas I think so many people who are Christian are just quick to label themselves. Like I say, oh, I'm Catholic, but like, I'm not necessarily, when I say that, that is different than how a conservative Catholic that I went to school with says I'm Catholic. No, I definitely agree with that. If someone's leaving, from what I've learned, if someone's leaving the LDS church, it's a big production. It's something that everyone's aware of. If you're living in a small town in Utah and you either come home from your mission early, if you break any of the unspoken rules of the church, it's something that people know about. And it's something that people often talk about, um, which is also something we're going to talk about when we bring up my favorite blogger from Utah, because she has completely gone off the rules of the LDS church, and I love her for it. But so they are a, a much more conservative religion, um, and there are a lot of, you know, like gender inequalities that are very prevalent. And, you know, they only just allowed women to witness a baptism this past October in 2019. So it's kind of, there's a lot of rules that people just seem to be fine with, and it, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. So I just think too, like, this is regardless of whether or not you are a part of the Mormon church, if you're living in Utah, it's just an environment of traditional conservative American family values that I think people, when people talk about the nuclear family, the white picket fence, the two and a half children, like this is where that's <laughs> happening. That's fine. And I'm just, I, I, I do want to recognize that it reinforces some of these stereotypes that you know also come with that which is like the idea of the men the man being the breadwinner the wife staying at home with the children but i think what was maybe not anticipated was this new path that so many women took of becoming influencers and working from home and making that lifestyle change so that i'm still going to be me i'm still going to be independent but i'm just going to do it within these new boundaries Yes, I agree. And not to say these women, like you said, they're not, they're not, you know, dependent fully on their husbands, but they did have to kind of, and this was years ago, this isn't just recent that this started, they had to find a way to, you know, stay home, raise their kids, which is what you said, where the work from home lifestyle kind of was created. And these people were smart, they were creative, they got into photography, videography, beauty, and blogging, which is, and all these jobs are flexible type of jobs where you can either work from home or partly work from home, um, work while you're traveling, which is another thing. And so I think that's where this work from home lifestyle started. So that's why some of these multi-level marketing companies are based in Utah, you know, doTERRA, Young Living, New Skin, those are some of the most famous ones. Um, those are jobs, if you're working for multi-level marketing, um, you can work from home, you can work your own hours. Uh, so that's, I think that there has to be a correlation there why they were so successful in Utah. You know, there's people, young people coming home from their missions and just start working for these companies. Yeah. And so, I think so many, so it's the lifestyle, right? It's like these Instagram feeds that we are getting exposed to and we're following and we're consuming. And then from those, oh, I follow because this is a beautiful feed. They amass followers and then they start selling. Right. 
And then you get like consumed in their lives. You're like, oh, they're pregnant again, or they're having another kid, or, you know, they just got married or engaged. Like you start to care so much about their lives. And that's how these people build a following. Cause these people are, I would say interesting because they're this, like these girls are my age and they're have like, they're getting married and having kids and which is fine, but it's like not, none of my friends are doing that. So it's kind of cool right. to see like in different parts of the country in different religions and cultures and lifestyles, what's considered normal and like what's not. So that's, I think that's why I'm so interested by them because it's such a different lifestyle. And like, you don't even, you don't even know that people live like that until you're following all of them. And you're like, wow, like, and you don't even realize right. they're your age too. So that's kind of crazy. No, I think it's definitely crazy. And we should do, I'd love to do a whole episode on the pressures that come with people our age getting married. So really, one, I think the pressure that puts on people who are where we are at in life of like, oh, am I behind? And is that real? So I think it's small townism. I think it's traditional family values. I think it's the Mormon church and how their outlook on family and marriage and life presents itself to Mormons. And so it's all of these factors combining. These influencers are creating a, are using the Instagram platform to express their life. And we are following along because it's interesting Mm -hmm. and it's different and it's unique. And one, again, I think a huge part of it is it's just aesthetically pleasing to look at, but two, it's the, it's the post, but it's also the captions. It's what is happening in their life. Tell me more. And I'm following it. It is an investment in their look, in their appearance, in their aesthetic. And it's an investment it, it, that leads into an investment into what are they buying? What are they using? How are they getting this lifestyle? And what are they doing in their life? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I definitely think Utah, the fact that it's like the breeding ground for all of these influencers, it makes sense. You know, they're <laughs> they're like pressured at a young age to be something that they might not be I don't really know um so I definitely think it's interesting to know this that if you pay attention to the influencers and bloggers that you follow I guarantee more than half of them are from Utah uh most of them will move out of Utah at some point so no hate no hate on Utah you know I think it's a cool state but it's different from where we're at and yeah so why don't you lead in with Indie Blue, which I feel like was a huge influence for you in terms of going into videography and photography. And for those, I like, I can picture my brother driving to work, listening to the podcast. I mean, like, what the, what the frick is an Indie Blue? Indie Blue is a person. Indie Blue is an influencer. Katie, go ahead. Yeah, so any of my friends listening are going to be like, okay, get over her, you guys. I literally, I love her. I love Indie Blue. I think she is the greatest. I've like been a loyal follower of hers since I was probably a sophomore, maybe a junior in college. I know it was before I went abroad because this girl, okay, let me just get into it. Anyways, she's from Utah. She's not part of the LDS church to what I understand. I think she was at some point, but she's not anymore. So she is, has broken every LDS standard, every rule, she has just gone on and done her own thing, which I think is really cool. And basically she graduated from high school. She was like, I don't want to go to college. 
I don't want to go on a mission. I don't want to do any of that. And she just started her own videography, like wedding business and then traveled. And she's traveled like all over the world. She makes amazing videos. She was like the influence for me to start. Like I always made videos, but not the way that I do now. She really like got me into a style. She made, she helped me find like my true style. And she also like influenced me to, <laughs> to travel to some places when I was abroad that I don't think I would have gone. So I just, she's incredible. Um, but the point of this is that she has like broken every rule pretty much. And I think she's the ultimate blogger because an influencer, because she's, she has made it a point to show like her real life. She's now dating her boyfriend from high school. He went on a mission and then came home and like they're dating again. And they just had a baby and she's 22, 23 maybe. She says, she writes on her stories all the time about people in her small town, like talking about her and all this. And it's just like, she doesn't care about the judgment is what I'm trying to say. I like that she talks about all these issues that like most people won't use their platform to talk about because they're afraid of losing followers or they don't want to upset anybody. And she just doesn't care. She's like, if you aren't talking about these issues, you're the problem. That's kind of her mindset. Um, so I think she's really great. She's pretty wild for Utah standards, but in a good way. And I just respect her for that. Um, and she's different than another influencer that we tend to follow, which is goes by the name Caroline Calloway. So she goes by that name because that's her given name. It's not, <laughs> it's not a fast one on us. Uh, but yeah, so the reason Caroline Calloway just fascinates me well, I think there are so many reasons. First, I want to say I don't endorse Caroline Calloway as a lifestyle. Um, but as someone who went to boarding school, which, look, it's, I, and I don't mean this in like a pretentious, anyone who didn't go to boarding school doesn't understand life way that I think some people mean it as. But I, it is such a unique experience that like there is an automatic camaraderie with anyone who's also gone through that. And I say, I chose my words carefully, gone through that. Because I think, especially if you are not a white man, especially if you are not a straight white man, that is not an experience that is easy for most people. So I want to preface that as we get into this Caroline Calloway discussion. But anyway, she went Wait, to- Wait, real quick. Real quick, if you're not, if you don't know Caroline Calloway, pause this and just look at her Instagram feed for two seconds and you'll understand. It's such chaotic energy. So chaotic. She is a loose cannon. (laughs) It is very chaotic. And look, so I think I don't want to, Caroline Calloway is her own episode, honestly. But like, I do, like, it's just so much. But basically, for those who don't know the Caroline Calloway story, she went to Phillips Exeter. When she's abroad, she purchases Instagram followers back when you could do this. She takes her study abroad experience and she was posting long form Instagram captions. And this was actually, I know we're laughing, but this was actually very revolutionary and has since become one standard practice for influencers. But Caroline was perhaps not the first, but one of the first. And so basically she when, would sit at home. When we say long, we mean literally like novels, like yes. scrolling length. And this is, 
my understanding based on what I've read is she would sit down at her computer, she would open her laptop and she would write a 15 page story. And she would then take bits of that story and paste them in as captions to various Instagram posts. And she blew this up to consume her study abroad experience. Fast forward to when Caroline Calloway breaks the internet. So a few things happen. <laughs> First, she does this public speaking tour, she says, on <laughs> being in, in on, on writing or like something. And it's a total disaster. It's basically the fire festival of motivational speaker. And her friend, Natalie, from her study abroad experience, from her college experience, writes this article for The Cut. And it is an expose in which she says she, the title of it is, I am Caroline Calloway, or I was Caroline, I was Caroline Calloway. And it is the story of how Natalie was brought in to write the cap, most of the captions, Natalie alleges, for Caroline. And so she, Caroline literally was having a ghost writer for her Instagram captions. And again, Caroline says, the way Caroline describes it is Natalie wrote half of the captions, which was half of the work of my Instagram feed. This is someone who literally revolutionized, and I mean this, I, like, I don't want to call Caroline Calloway a revolutionary, and certainly... <laughs> you know, how you change Instagram does not matter as much as how you change like basic human life. So I'm not comparing her to Rosa Parks, but I am saying that Caroline Calloway changed the one of the ways that influencers amass followers on Instagram and she did it with a ghostwriter. And so it was actually, at least for me, Natalie's expose of that process that really blew up Caroline Calloway. Then Caroline Calloway spirals. She posts her nudes to Twitter. She does this whole, she buys a website. She signs this book deal. She's going to release her book, which is called um, Scammer. So Caroline is just this example of chaotic energy, negative energy as an influencer that I think is one perfectly legitimate kind of influencer in the sense of has this massive following and is profiting off of it. Caroline, she's created an OnlyFans account, $50 a month, which I'm told is the most expensive subscription you can have for an OnlyFans account. She sells the, she'll like draw a smiley face on a canvas and sell it for $250 and someone <laughs> will buy it because it's Caroline Calloway. It's absurd. And so Caroline is this like negative example, I think, of existing in the influencer space. But I just wanted to bring it in and contrast it with these actual like carefully curated influencer pages that you see. End of tirade. Katie, what are your thoughts on Caroline Calloway? <laughs> okay, I can't get into my thoughts on Caroline Calloway because that girl is spin spiraling for several years and she has not hit the end yet she's still spiraling and that's honestly I really do think it's kind of messed up because and we can blame this on her we can blame this on her followers I don't know who we can blame this on but she is clearly someone who needs help and she posts it on her story I've unfollowed her a long time ago but she posts stories in Instagram posts and all this stuff 
clearly she's struggling. It's kind of scary that you could have that following. And I don't know. I guess a lot of influencers hide their problems when they're influencers, which is a whole nother topic. But I just feel like it's kind of scary that Caroline has this following. She's been, she's, she created, like you said, she created her following back like years and years ago. Years ago. It started with her like spreading a, like a book draft with like her ex-boyfriend's name in it. I don't know if you read that on like some. Yeah. And like her whole career is based on like doing people wrong publicly. And I think, too, one of the other things that makes the reason I am so fascinated by Caroline Calloway is precisely because she's an unreliable narrator. And so you don't know what is real and you don't know what is like made up and contrived for this social media presence. Caroline Calloway has created the character Caroline Calloway. And so literally they are separate beings there is the true caroline calloway which is who she is in her core what she truly believes and then there is this character caroline calloway that she has created and that character is who the real caroline calloway portrays and i want to bring this down and to make it relatable because i think to some extent that is all of us because Caroline Calloway's created this character, Caroline Calloway. But the other way to say that is she's created a brand that is Caroline Calloway. And as people who are growing up in this time, we have to be cognizant. And if you're not, you're frankly being naive of what is your brand and what are the kinds of things that go on your social media and what are you presenting to the world as this is who I am. And it is very easy to control what others think about you through your social media feed And, you know, Caroline has chosen this chaotic course to do that. But what does it say about someone who's posting other things and what they're choosing to emphasize? And so this whole, like, the thing that gets me about influencer culture is, like, literally this creation of characters. Like, people are playing characters of themselves, which is just wild. Yeah, definitely. And just to touch upon, like, the i i think we chose our two the two influencers that we like follow closely um they're so different but they're the similarity between them is that not just nick and i but like everyone all of their thousands and thousands of followers are so almost tricked into like just blindly like listening to anything they say like we just like I don't know. I think a lot of people follow Caroline because she's entertaining and like, like you said, chaotic. Right. And it's kind of right. like, what the heck is she going to do next? Uh, Indy is more like, I don't think, I really don't think much of her content is wholesome. It's mostly just, I don't know, when she travels, I like to see where she's traveling. And now that she's a baby, I like to see her baby. Like, it's stuff like right. that. But it's just the similarity between them is like, we just follow them because we're interested in their lives and they've gotten us interested and it's just so cool like I don't how do you even do that (laughs) but to go off of what you're saying about like they show us what they want to show us and I think that is a theme that's been very it's been more open over the past like I would say year that you have bloggers and influencers even like tiktokers who 
are trying to be more transparent about what they show just to say like, yeah, it looks like I have it all together, but I don't actually, because when you see someone's feed and it's perfection, that doesn't make, you know, like young girls, young teenagers feel good about themselves when they're constantly seeing like models and they're creating unrealistic body standards for young girls. And I think that's a problem with not only having young girls on Instagram, but just the environment that's been created through like Instagram models, Instagram influencers. So I do really appreciate the past, like, I really do think it's been in the past year, just the more transparency, more, oh, this is the behind the scenes of this photo, like reality versus Instagram. I think that makes it more relatable. It makes people feel less bad about themselves when they don't look like the end result photo. Let's talk very briefly about the Hype House, which is literally... 13 to 18 year olds who have just been great on TikTok at making dances that people like to imitate and millionaires have purchased them homes and have moved 15 and 16 year olds into giant mansions in Beverly Hills to make TikToks all day. The like, the things are radically changing and i think that what social media is first like there's so much to get into there and i don't think we have the time to do it but i think it's all this is all getting related of like it is just building on itself it starts with the indie blues who have these beautiful feeds and then someone comes to them and says hey you post really great photos and now you have all these followers would you advertise my product and it works itself up to TikTok dances where, again, 13 to 15-year-olds are being paid to sit in a mansion and create TikToks for a living. Yes, Nick, going off that, and let me just be very clear here. I am sending no hate to Addison Rae and Charlie D'Amelio, and I'm sending a little bit of hate to Lil Huddy because I heard he's kind of a snake, but those two girls... I think they're amazing. I, like the fact that they're capitalizing. Yes. yes no. Exactly. The fact they are capitalizing on this. Exactly. Right. The, exactly. The fact that they're taking advantage of this and like they're beautiful and like they're just taking advantage of the society that's been created. I don't think there's anything wrong with them doing that. And like that's incredible. But the fact that us as a society, we as a society, have created a job opportunity for them to literally go in a house, put on cute clothes, and actually not even create their own dances most of the time. Like, they're just doing other people's choreography, which, like I said, no hate. It's not them that's the problem. It's really us making that a possibility. Like, it's literally an app that has become way more famous in the past year than anyone was expecting. It's incredible to me. The fact that Addison Rae literally dropped out of LSU to pursue TikTok. If you said that to someone three years ago, they'd be like, what? (laughs) I just, I think it's amazing that they're doing this. And that's the other thing. I don't want anyone to listen to this episode and think that we're hating on influencers because no, if I could create a following and then just, they work hard. I'm not saying they don't, but it is a type of job that I would love to do because it's like, you make your own hours, you get to wear cute clothes and you are on social media all day. That's awesome. I'm not hating on them at all. They're just taking advantage of the situations that they've created for themselves. And that's awesome. And the society that we've created, but the TikTok thing blows my mind. I can't even believe it. Like the fact that these people are 15 and richer than I will ever be. It's just, it's tragic really. 
I, I want to cue the dramatic music, please. And let's transition in to talking about this upcoming season of The Bachelor and what we have heard. So if one, you do not listen to The Bachelor and you're not interested, or two, you do watch The Bachelor, but you don't want to know the spoilers, then this is your time to stop listening to What the Frick. So thank you for being with us. I'm going to take that back, Nick. There's no spoiler set. If you're on social media, they're there. We're not spoiling anything else. Oh, yeah. No, we have no breaking news. We're just going to discuss what is out there for sure. There's nothing. Yeah. yeah. But like, if you want to go into this season blind, then like, stop listening. Yeah. Okay. Sure. But we'll also add that we are very loyal fans of The Bachelor, and we're going to try our best not to talk about it too much in the next once the season comes out, but, you know, something crazy happens, I can't help myself. I can't do Realistically, it. we will probably spend the first five minutes of each episode discussing what happened the previous week. Realistically, anyway, yes. Anyway, you're going to leave us now. We hope you stick around for the Bachelor discussion coming up, but if not, we understand at What the Frick Pod. Next week, we are going to have my dear, 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 dear best friend, Megan Bischoff, on the pod to discuss her move to San Francisco, entering the corporate world right out of college, and tackling all things like West Coast. So our debate of the freaking week, Katie, do you want to share what it is? Our debate of the week, we're not going to answer it because we're going to have you guys tune in on our Instagram story, give us your answers, and then we're going to discuss it with Meg next week. So our debate is going to be, which do you prefer, the East Coast or the West Coast? We're super excited for that. And let's dive in to The Bachelor upcoming season. Let's dive right in, baby. This is iconic. It's crazy. First of all, The Bachelorette herself, Claire. Look, we knew that this was going to be a different season. She was starting out older than most Bachelorettes start out. She, they had to recast the men who were on like auditioning to win her love because they were so young. And the whole idea, I think basically what happened was we had this God awful season with Pete. And so people, the the producers were like, we need to convince people once it, because this show is not about finding love. It's not. And so the producers were like, we need to convince people that that is what it's about. And so they had to try to find someone who's more mature than Pete. But I just think they they went out, they found Claire, and they start the season. Katie, tell everyone, if they don't already know, but they have to know, what the problem with Claire ended up being. So Claire, they began filming a couple weeks ago, and then Reality Steve broke the news for us that Claire was leaving the season early. At first, we thought that she was causing trouble, like she wasn't getting along with the producers. That's what the first rumor was. But then it turns out that she fell in love with someone and decided- She made the biggest mistake you can make as The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. She actually fell in love. So she went to the producers and she's like, hey, I like this person. They're like, no, it's only week three. You're not allowed to like anyone. What do you mean you actually found someone you want to love? So the background info that I've heard is they were literally going to just start the season over with a new Bachelorette. 
But then the problem became if you literally erase Claire because she truly found in love or she truly fell in love and she found her quote unquote soulmate, you are literally denying the premise of the show. Right. They had to make it. They had so they're going to they're going to air the show with her in the first couple episodes. Correct. And, and then they're going to there will be a the the mid-season finale, like Claire's half of the season will be a wedding. I can't It will literally it. end in a wedding. And let's, they have let's, flown in in the middle of a pandemic. They have flown in the who's who that would have been the Paradise cast and they are sitting them in the front row for the wedding and then they are mixing them in with the other men from Claire's season to be like this free-for-all at the La Quinta Inn in Palm Beach, Florida. So they're all there for the wrong reason and they're going to get coronavirus, so... Let's just see how that plays out, Claire. And Sorry, what's his it's name? Palm Dale? Springs, not Palm Beach. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't it California? Yeah. No, um, Palm Springs. Is that California? I think so. Okay. Yeah. So sorry. anyways, so then Claire leaves with her husband against all the rules and with her fiance, sorry. And we see on breaking news, e-news, all this stuff, that Tasha is the next Bachelorette. But then we see that they also th- flew in Hannah Ann. But then we see they also flew in Becca Kufrin. What so, does it mean? Because, Katie, they had to. Because, look, when it was... So, Claire falls in love, and then you have the leftovers, right? <laughs> if you just have Tasha come in, like, the idea is supposed to be that these men were curated for the specific bachelorette that's right. what we're told every season is like we interviewed a hundred plus people and the 25 best people for hannah b were luke c and luke p and whatever and of course that was bs but anyway so they can't do that with just one bachelorette so they had to have multiple and they had to make it a free-for-all with it's basically Bachelor in Paradise for the second half. It's just kind of crazy because, so Becca, I didn't even realize Becca and Garrett had broken up. Becca, who is a queen, I love Becca. I think she's awesome. Uh, but she also was already the Bachelorette. So the fact that she's kind of getting another chance is kind of crazy. Um, I do want her to find love, but I wish they would maybe give someone else the chance to be the Bachelorette, one third of the Bachelorette. Um, and then we have Hannah Ann, of course. We love her. I don't know how much we love her after last season. Do we still love her? So Hannah Ann was always my favorite. And I think what I have found is I liked her from the beginning because I thought the thing I loved about Hannah Ann was it was, at least to me, I don't believe she was ever in love with Pete. She went on with the mission of becoming famous. She wanted to be like a star and she played the game there were so many times when she just did things that any other player would have got kicked out for and she twisted them and she made them her own and she owned them i think she's one of the best contestants ever on the show honest to god i think 
the ending actually indeed there were some people who from the beginning saw through her and were like she's fake she's in it for the wrong reasons i think those people got converted by the end of the season where pete was so clearly in the wrong so i just want to credit um game of roses pod which is where i've gotten most of this information from and I want to regurgitate some facts that they have sussed out, no pun intended with Hannah and Sluss, um, what they have sussed out, and they are the following. And this is at Game of Roses Pod, whom you should absolutely follow and subscribe to them as well if you want to really understand The Bachelor. Hannah Ann is at the La Quinta Resort. Becca Kufrin's at the La Quinta Resort. We know this. Um, and again, Tasha is being billed as the new Bachelorette. So it seems like it's not clear if all three are being called the Bachelorette or if Tasha's the Bachelorette, but then they're also doing this side thing. Very unclear. Wells Adams has been brought in to start serving drinks at the La Quinta Resort. Did you know that? Did you see that? No. And yeah, I so- am thrilled. So, so Wells has been brought in. Um, Ashley Ianchetti. <gasps> I hate her. <laughs> she, she is there. Why? She's she married. And oh my God, no. So she's my least She's favorite. married. So she must be there just for the wedding. So they do this <gasps> thing where they're like, this is the bachelor couple. Like we all go to their wedding. We all worship in the bachelor family. So she's there. Um, Claire Crawley is obviously still there. So, and again, all of the men who are left over from Claire's season, and they, it is my understanding that they brought back the men that were yes. kicked out like weeks one through four to come yep. in as well. So it's going to be wild. It is literally going to be the most, I know Chris Harrison says it every time, it will be the most dramatic season of The Bachelor. I'm so excited. I am so excited. Nick, do you have any leads on an air date? I have no, again, I have no leads whatsoever. Anything I get is from Game of Roses or Reality Steve, but they're still filming. So, I mean, you at least need some time. My guess, my original understanding was they wanted it to um, coincide with the normal January. My, actually, no, wait, sorry, I'm wrong. My understanding was they were going to try to rush this bachelorette season so that they can start who's the new bachelor what's his name again matt Matt. so they can start matt on time in january in january right yeah because this says fall 2020 so yeah so that's my i'm sure they'll be i'm sure they'll start filming for matt while claire's is airing correct correct okay Um, so this is wild i'm so excited it's gonna be literally insane yeah, I'm really hyped. Every uh, season, we do a Bachelor bracket. So if anyone wants to get in on that, let us know. But it'll be awesome. I'm so excited. I can't wait for the drama. I've been needing some reality TV drama in my life. So this is going to be really good. Absolutely. So until next time or until Katie leaves us to star in Love is Blind, this is What the Frick Pod. Thanks for tuning in. Like and subscribe. And we will catch you next week with Meg B to talk about living in the corporate world, and living on the West Coast. Have a good week, everyone. We'll see you next week.